we live in a world where it is easy to be shaken. It's a crazy world. The circumstances of life, just daily life, can shake us. Whether that's loss or illness or tragedy, financial concerns, it is, you know, riding the ups and downs of life, it is easy to be shaken. And on top of all that, there's the onslaught of the 24-hour news cycle. And I might call it the 24-hour bad news cycle. It seems like the vast majority of the news that we get today is bad news. And just half a generation ago, someone you could trust read you the news from 5 to 5.30 or 6 to 6.30, and you could get the news in half an hour. And if it was bad news, it might shake you, but you had some time to recover. Today, it is constant. It is nonstop. Even if you're not on a 24-hour news station, you've got social media. You can be reached through text message, through email, through Facebook Messenger, through all these different mediums. And the onslaught of news and often bad news can catch us off guard and shake us if we're not standing on something firm. And then in the midst of all that, there are relationships that can shake us. Relationships can go south in a hurry. We can be betrayed. We can be ghosted. All these ways to connect. And when you have all these ways to connect to somebody and they're not responding, you feel it even deeper. And those we thought we could rely on maybe drift away. And we live in a culture that is seeking to divide everywhere that it possibly can and to push people as far to the extremes as it possibly can. We live in a world where it is easy to be shaken. Fortunately, we have an unshakable God. We have an unshakable God. He is never shocked. He is never shaken. He is never caught off guard by the events of the day. He is always steadfast. He is always constant. He is always reliable. He is always faithful. However, it is us, it is we who fail at times to plant ourselves solidly on the solid rock of Jesus Christ. And so today we're starting a new series and it's titled Unshakable. And we're going to be looking at five particularly important and relevant topics of God's unshakable nature. There are not only five. <laughs> if ever there was a sermon where we're leaving a lot unsaid, it's this one. There are so many ways that we could approach this. This could be a 52-week sermon series, I really believe, because there's so much about God that is unshakable. We're going to look at five characteristics or qualities of God from His Word to His grace to how do we cultivate unshakable hope in the light of his unshakable words and his unshakable grace. We're going to look at his unshakable kingdom and how we can be unshakable people in the midst of a shakable world. So that's where we're going over these next five weeks. If you can't tell, I'm a little bit excited about it. I'm a little bit amped up. I've been waiting to preach this sermon series for a year because it was last year, in 2020, when we were going through 
the fall of 2020 and all that the fall of 2020 held for us. And I was doing my banding together journal readings and I was reading Hebrews and I was reading Timothy and I was reading Titus and I was seeing these characteristics of God as being so unshakable. And yes, these elements probably got sprinkled into my preaching as we were going through that. But I was planning a sermon series that would be rooted in this reading plan. And I knew I was going to do a series in October and November called Unshakable, where we're going to look at the unshakable characteristics of God and his word and his grace. And so in many ways, Pastor Larry, you set the stage perfectly talking about that grace that is made perfect in our weakness. When we are shaken, he is unshakable. And if we will plant ourselves in him and root ourselves in him and in his word and in his grace and in his hope and in his kingdom, then we can become unshakable people. And that is good news. And so my goal through this series is that it will be not only foundational, but transformational. That it will create a solid foundation for us as the people of God to be transformed into the image of our unshakable Savior who stood firm. I'm reminded when they came to the Garden of Gethsemane to take him by force and to arrest him, and he said, I am, they were the ones that drew back and were shaken. And he said, even the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. So we can be encouraged by that today as we study God's unshakable word. I really believe that this is one of our greatest gifts, if not the greatest gift available to us. It's God's unshakable word. And it's so powerful. Two weeks ago, there was sort of a side point in the message that Jesus is the word made flesh. Jesus is the word made flesh. You hold Jesus in your hands in in a very real way when you hold his word in your hands. And when you put his word into your mind and into your heart, you're putting Christ himself into your mind and into your heart. And he said in Matthew 24, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Everything you see around you, as beautiful as the sanctuary is, as beautiful as the fall colors outside are, if you've ever been to the Tetons, they're absolutely sublime. Maybe you've been to Europe and seen the marvels of human engineering throughout the ages as we see them there. Maybe you've been to the Holy Lands. It's all going to pass away. The most beautiful thing you have ever seen or experienced in this world It's all going to pass away. Heaven itself, Jesus says, will pass away, but his words will not pass away. They are eternal. They are pre-existent eternal, and they are forever into the future eternal. They will never pass away. This shakable world and everything in it will be gone someday. But God's unshakable word will transcend this world earthly existence. And so our subject of God's unshakable word, we're going to be rooted in a passage that speaks directly to this. It's 2 Timothy chapter 3 verses 16 and 17. It's Paul's second letter to Timothy and most scholars will agree this is probably the last letter Paul wrote 
And so on the tail end of chapter 3, in the middle of this section where he's making a charge to Timothy, his understudy, his son in the faith, one that in many ways is going to carry the mantle of, of leadership of the church forward, he's talking about God's word. Some of the last things that Paul ever wrote were about God's word. And we have this to look at, to study, to understand. And so if you turn to page 1855 in the Pew Bibles here, or if you open a Bible that you have with you, or if you're joining us online, these scriptures will be on the screen. But if you have a Bible, I always think it's good to have one that you hold in your hands and you can make notes. And and this passage speaks about the importance of scripture in Paul's life and ministry, as well as Timothy's life and ministry, and I believe our life and ministry. And each and every one of us as believers in Jesus Christ has a ministry. We have a purpose. We have a calling. And God's word is central to our fulfilling that calling, as we'll see. So we'll read these two verses, and then we'll dig deeply into them. He says, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God, the servant of God, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so in this lengthy passage, this lengthy section that starts in the middle of chapter 3 and goes to the middle of chapter 4, he's making this charge to Timothy. And right in the heart of this charge to Timothy, he's talking about the Word of God. And then in Timothy 4.2, if you've ever been to a pastor's installation service, you probably heard Timothy, 2 Timothy 4.2, where he says, preach the Word. Preach this Word. The Word of God. The Scripture that is unshakable. The Scripture that is God-breathed. The Scripture that is useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness. And we hold this very close to our hearts here at Linwood. Our first core value is that we would be people who are centered on God's Word. Centered on God's Word. We define that as centering our lives on the Word of God consistently preaching, teaching, and applying God's word to every aspect of our lives, both individually and corporately. And so this is not something that we hold up as a value to do peripherally, somewhere in the grand scheme of things. You know, I got an Apple Watch and it's got this cluster of all these apps, but there's one right in the middle. <laughs> That's, that should be the most important one. I should probably move my Bible app to, to that one, Right? This is not on the periphery. This is not one of many. This is what we center our lives on. And we don't do it occasionally. We do it consistently. We do it regularly. And so verse 16 tells us a lot about God's word. What it does and how it does it. But I want to begin with verse 17. Because verse 17 tells us why. Verse 17 tells us why it matters so much. You see those two words at the beginning of verse 17, so that, and I put special emphasis on them. Every time you see a so that in your Bible, you should circle it because God is telling you why this matters. He's making the application for us. He's telling us why it matters that God's word is God-breathed and useful because so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped 
for every good work. Now, he's writing to a pastor, but he's not writing only to pastors. He's writing to everyone who is a servant of God. At that time, that was just men. Today, it's men and women. We are part of a denomination, the Wesleyan Church, that celebrates women in leadership, that believes that when Joel 2.20 says that your men and women, your sons and daughters, shall prophesy, they shall speak for God, that we are in that, that at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit fell, it fell on men and women, and that men and women would prophesy. And so he's speaking to servants of God, but he's not just speaking to vocational ministers, he's speaking to all the servants of God. If you are a servant of God, then God's word has a special place in your life because it will teach you, it will equip you, it will rebuke you when it's necessary, it will do all of those things. And that's why this so matters so much, so that we would be thoroughly equipped, not partially equipped, not hastily equipped, not occasionally equipped, but that we would be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Every good work. Ephesians 2.10 tells us that there are good works created in advance for every single one of you, for every single one of us, that God created you as a masterpiece and prepared you to do good works, which he created in advance for you to do. And God's word is what equips you to do them and to do them well, to do them with excellence. To do them in a way that will bear fruit, much fruit, fruit that will remain. And so in many ways, this is the instruction manual, but it's not just tactical. How many men in the room look at this instruction manual and say, I think I can figure it out. Don't do that with this, right? Don't just try to figure it out. This will tell you how to do it, how to do it well, how to do it in a Christ-like way, how to be Jesus in your circle, in your sphere of influence, in your workplace, in your family. Don't just wing it. He's told you how. He showed us how. And the more we get this into us, the more natural it will become. And we won't necessarily need to go back to the instruction manual every moment to figure out how to do this thing we've done it we've been thoroughly equipped and we can move on to the next step that he has set before us the next thing that he wants to reveal to us through scripture God's unshakable word is also critically important because it's where we learn about everything else about God this is the fullness of his revelation his unshakable word is where we learn about his unshakable grace, his unshakable kingdom, how we can cultivate unshakable hope and how we can be his unshakable people. If we set this aside, we're in trouble. We're in big trouble. We need his word in our lives. And it prepares us to do every good work. It's all in here. And we live in a world that will train us very quickly in every bad work, <laughs> right? All you gotta do is just step in and go with the flow. It comes easy to do every bad work that the world can offer, but God's word teaches us and equips us and rebukes us and corrects us and trains us for every good work that we can be thoroughly equipped. And so that's why. That's why you need to be in God's word four to seven times a week. I would say seven. Be there seven times a week. Get this as a part of your daily life. Be in God's word. Engaging scripture. 
And the reason is not just so that you can be good little servants for God. Yes, that's part of it. But the first and the primary reason is he loves you. This is one long love letter. I know parts of it don't read like that. But when you read the whole thing, parts of Leviticus just don't sound like a love letter, do they? Parts of Judges, oh my goodness. How many people read Judges this summer? That was rough. It didn't sound like a love letter. But Genesis to Revelation is the longest love letter that's ever been written. God loves you. He wants you to know him. He knows that the more you know him, the more unshakable your life will become. And even when you wake up to terrible news, the worst news you can imagine, you can stand firm on the solid rock of who God is and what he has revealed to you and what he has said about you and who you are to him. God is speaking constantly. He's revealing himself constantly through his word. And he wants you to know him and he wants you to know his will, his good, pleasing, and perfect will, as Paul calls it in Romans chapter 12. He wants us to know him. And so that's why I talk about this all the time. Some of you are probably tired of me talking about this. Some of you are doing it and you're not tired of me talking about it. You're cheering me on. You're saying, yes, I wish more people, I wish everybody did it. I see somebody pumping their fists in the back row. Thank you. This is life-changing stuff. If you will spend time in God's word every day, if you will read through it, this is specifically designed, it's not haphazard. It's designed so that you'll have a reading plan. It works out to about 40 verses a day. You can read it in five minutes. And it it has an accompanying journal where you can jot down some notes. I like to do a page. You don't have to do a page. The focus is not on the output. The focus is on the input. Are you engaging scripture on a regular basis? Asking God to speak to you and then writing down what he says to you from your word. From his word. And so that's the Banding Together Journal. You can get one of these for five bucks. If you don't have five bucks, don't sweat it. We've got them at the back tables. If you don't have one of these, please pick one up. And maybe you're doing something else that has you in God's word on a regular basis, has you in God's word daily and engaging scripture. Keep doing that. I'm not saying you got to quit that. That's bad. No, that's great. Anything that you're doing that puts God's word into your life on a regular basis that you're interacting with and engaging and asking questions of and studying is valuable and it's rooting you in God's unshakable nature because it's revealed to us through his unshakable word and then once you're doing this get together with two or three other people who are doing this and find out what God is saying to them and how you can pray for each other and how you can hold each other accountable it's really really simple doesn't mean it's easy and it doesn't mean it's not profound and so I'm going to keep encouraging because God's sending us new people every week Seriously, we've been handing out a new first-time visitor bag or two every week. God is sending people to us. And they need to hear about this as well. And they need to know. So I'm going to keep talking about it. Don't tune out. It's good stuff. And this all matters. And it matters a lot because God is his word. Right? Jesus is the word made flesh. God is his word. He and his word, his revelation to us are inseparable. So to ignore God's word is to ignore God. To ignore God's word is to ignore God himself. That God who loves you. That God who is aching for you to know him. And to be known by him and to have an intimate relationship that will be the most important relationship of your life. And so I wonder, (laughs) would we be very good friends? If you are always revealing, always sharing, 
always speaking, always communicating. And I never paid much attention. Maybe once a week I go listen to what somebody else had to say about what you had said, but I wasn't listening to what you were saying. Would we be very good friends? No, probably not. And I'm not saying don't come to church. Don't hear me say that. This is to be a supplement to, not a substitute for. This preaching, the teaching, community Bible studies, all those things are wonderful things, but they're not replacements for that time that you spend with God. I've got an alarm set for five o'clock every day. Somebody said, that's crazy. Why do you get up at five every day? It's like, guys, I got to sit my, my dad for an hour or I can't get it done. I can't go through the day. I can't make it through the week if I'm not spending an hour with my heavenly father and his word in the quiet at the beginning of the day. It, does, I, it doesn't work for me if I don't have that time. And I don't think I'm alone in that. I think we all need that. We desperately need God's word in our lives. We need to be able to ask the question, God, what are you saying to me today? What are you saying to me today? And allow his work to speak, word to speak to us. Allow his word to change us. Because here's our bottom line today. We're not almost done. Still got a little bit to go. I want to tell you about verse 16. But our bottom line today is that God's unshakable word does not change. It changes us. God's unshakable word doesn't change. It changes us. Hebrews 4.12 tells us that, that his word is living and active. His word, God's unshakable word is living and active. That does not mean that it changes. In fact, it changes us. And the second half of that verse makes that clear. Sharper than any two-edged sword, it divides us to the separation of soul and spirit. It speaks to us at the very core of who we are, at the very deepest parts of our being. God's unshakable word is speaking to us and it can penetrate us to the deepest parts of who we are. It is not dead and it is not static. And it will make us more like him if we come to it regularly. If we come to it and seek it regularly. And so if we think about the idea that God's unshakable word is living and active, that it doesn't change, but it changes us, I wonder, has his word come alive to you? Has his word like come alive to you? Has it wholly differentiated itself from everything else you have ever read? Has it come alive to you? Has it become a dynamic presence in your life? That's what it means that his word is living and active. And I wonder, has it come alive to you? Has it captivated you? And could you tell somebody when? I remember very clearly, on par with like where I was when I heard about the Twin Towers falling on 9-11, or where maybe some of this generation, uh, the older generation, I mean, know where they were when JFK was shot or something like that, like a watershed moment. I can tell you in detail when God's word came alive to me. I was sitting at a table in the food court at the Eastridge Mall and a friend of mine named Mike was sitting across from me and we'd just come from a Bible study and we had a little extra time and he could tell I was spiritually hungry. 
more hungry than some of the other knuckleheads in that Bible study anyway. They were always trying to get him off topic. But I had asked some questions like, you want to go get a cup of coffee? He didn't drink coffee. He drank cocoa. And I always thought that was kind of funny and I teased him. But he sat down and he opened up his Bible. And he started in Philippians chapter 2, that great passage about how Jesus... You know, we should have that mind among us. Jesus, who was in very nature, God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself a servant. And then he went right to John 13, and he talked about Jesus, you know, leaving heaven, coming to earth, putting a serving towel over his arm and washing his disciples' feet, the most humiliating, lowest service that could be performed. And then he went to Isaiah 40, and he was looking at 40 and 43, and how Jesus was the suffering servant, and how everybody at the time was expecting a conquering king, but Jesus was the suffering. He walked through scripture. He walked through gospel, and letter, and prophecy, and Old Testament, New Testament, and the word exploded and came to life. And I said, I want to, I want to see that. I want to understand that. And we began reading the Bible, and we read the Bible through in a year several times, and and became just couldn't get enough scripture for a season i was listening to the like the christian talk radio every night this was before we had kids and i was taking notes i have those notebooks with notes i was just so hungry for god's word that's when it came alive to me when did it come alive for you do you remember can you point to a time or maybe there have been multiple times there have been times when it's gotten a little stale not because of it it's unchanging it's unshakable i changed i drifted i turned it into a checklist so yeah, I've read my chapter. So there have been multiple times when it has been rebirthed in me and there's been a new hunger and a new appetite. So I wonder if his word has come alive in you. Not just to you, but in you. Is it changing you? Is it growing in you? Healthy things grow. Is God's word growing in you? Pushing out the bad and and filling your life with fruitfulness. Earlier in 2 Timothy, uh, he's writing at the very opening. In 2 Timothy 1.6, he says, Fan into flames the word of God that was spoken to you. You know what this is? It's a fire poofer. That's what we always called it, fire poofer. Some people call it a bellows, but... I never knew it was called a bellows until I was trying to look up the technical term for this. It's a fire poofer. Well, I don't know if you can see this online, but that says, Mark, 2 Timothy 1.6, fan into flames the gift of God that is in you. God bless. You know who wrote that? Mike, my friend, who was sitting across the table from me when God's word came alive to me. And then he gives me this as he left to go into ministry. And as I was stepping into full-time ministry and about to go to West Virginia, where I would have my first senior pastorate, he gave me that. And this is how we fan into flames the gift of God that is in us. It's through his word. It's God breathed. The spirit breathed. The spirit will breathe this, breathe life into our hearts, into our lives through this. That's verse 16, God's word. Verse 17 is about why, so that we may be thoroughly equipped for every good word. Verse 16 tells us that all scripture is God-breathed. God literally breathes it. It's telling us what it is and how it works in verse 16. It's God-breathed. It's divinely inspired. God created the whole world, and then what did he do on the sixth day? He created man. And what did he do for man that he didn't do for anybody else? He breathed the breath of life into man. God himself breathing the breath of life into humanity that was created in his image. We are completely unique from everything else in creation. 
And we have a spirit. And God's spirit intersects our spirit. And that gets fed when we take the breath of God, the revelation of God into our lives. And that fans into flame the gift of God that is in us. Every single one of us has a spiritual gift. Some of us have several. It is breathed into us through his word and it is breathed out into this world when we share his word with other people. He says his word never returns void, ever. His word never returns void. And so that's what it is. It's God-breathed. It's divinely inspired. It's useful, we're told. Do you know what that word useful means? It doesn't just mean useful. It means profitable. It means beneficial. It's useful. When you're hungry, like really hungry, not just I'm ready to eat. You see, in America, we don't get hungry very often. (laughs) We get ready to eat a lot, but we don't actually get hungry. I'm reminded in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. And then, you know, the most blatantly obvious words in Scripture, perhaps, at the end of 40 days, he was hungry. (laughs) Really, Luke, you think so? And where does Satan tempt him first? In the area of his appetite. He says, turn these stones into bread. What does Jesus do? Quote scripture. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. That's what Jesus is quoting to Satan himself after 40 days of not eating. We don't live by bread alone. We live by every word of God. It's God-breathed, it's useful, it's profitable. It's profitable and beneficial to us in the same way that when we are really hungry, food is profitable and beneficial. It nourishes us, it strengthens us, it fills us where we are empty. That's what God's Word does. And it does it in four ways. And we're going to have to move through this pretty quick. But if you're wanting a little more on this, I'm pretty sure there's going to be a series in 2022 Rooted in this about God's word and the ways that it teaches and rebukes and corrects and trains. Because I think that would be a really cool series. So if you like that, comment in the comment section on Facebook or put it on your connection card. And if a few people think that's a good idea, we'll probably do it. But these four ways, this teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness go together. But I see some interesting connections. I see the teaching and the training as sort of bookends. Number one and number four, the teaching and the training kind of go together. Those are the bookends. And then the inside there, I see rebuking and correcting kind of going together. And so there's some interesting dynamics that are going on there. And all of this culminates in righteousness. And we think righteousness is good behavior, but the the Greek word, and, and I think it's used intentionally, has more to do with relationship. It's a relational term. Are we in right standing with God? And God's word, when we bring it into our lives regularly, it teaches us, it rebukes us and corrects us, it trains us in righteousness, in having right standing with God. So why wouldn't we want that? Why wouldn't we want more of that? Why wouldn't we be committed to that? And so if we look at number one and number four as bookends, I see the teaching and the training in righteousness as what happens when we regularly seek and apply it. Right? It teaches us. It trains us. These are positive things. It trains us in God's ways. You know, Psalm 119, verse 24, tells us, David writes, Your statutes are my delight. They are my counselors. I go to them as a counselor. And and your statutes, your word, your law, David is saying, is my delight. I go to it for counsel. 
It teaches us. It trains us. It does this for us. And I had to just chuckle because if you were doing this, you know that the day we read 2 Timothy chapter 3 was the day we started Psalm 119, which is the longest chapter in the whole Bible. And it's all about God's word. Every single verse mentions God's word, God's laws, God's statutes, God's precepts. And so while it's talking about this unshakable, unchangeable nature of God's word and how profitable and useful and God-breathed it is, we're starting Psalm 119 at the same time. And I don't think that was a coincidence. And so when we regularly seek and apply, it will teach us and it will train us. If we get lazy, if we forget to regularly seek and apply it, then it comes in and it will rebuke if rebuking is needed. God's word is not afraid to give us a holy two-by-four upside the head. Anybody ever need one of those? I've needed one more than once. Recently. Not because I stopped reading God's word, but because it said, hey, you've been killing it over here. You've been knocking the cover off the ball, and I think Satan's pretty ticked off about that. So he came in the back door like he's so good at doing, and you got lazy back here. You got to clean this up. And so I said, okay. Holy Spirit, you're going to keep this covered. I'm going to come over here and address this and shore this thing up and then we're going to move forward together. And that's kind of how I feel God's word works. It rebukes us when we need to be rebuked. It corrects us when we need to be corrected if we will come to it regularly and we get used to that so that we don't have to take our ball and go home because that hurt my feelings. Rebuking is not fun. It's probably my least favorite thing to do as a pastor is to rebuke somebody. I've known pastors who that was probably their favorite thing. They didn't get many cards on pastor appreciation, I don't think. It's not fun to rebuke, and it's not fun to be rebuked. But sometimes God's word, because God loves us so much, he says, man, if this thing keeps going on, it's going to be bad. You've stepped onto a slippery slope. And the problem with slippery slopes is that they're slippery, and they're sloped. And you can go a long ways. And so God's word rebukes us because he loves us enough. Just like you rebuke your kids if they're riding out into traffic on their bike. You say, do not do that again. Because you love them. And you know that they might make it once or twice. Because they're lucky, but the the truck could come. And you don't want that. So God's word rebukes us. And it corrects us. And that word rebuke means that it is exposing in order to convict exposing in order to convict. That's why this is no fun, because something that was rather hidden gets exposed by God's word, by God's spirit. To convict us to change, to discipline us to change. And to correct means to set straight. That's, it's, a, it's a word picture in the original language, to set straight, to correct, to reform, and to make right. And so you can see how verses 1 and 4 kind of go together and how verses 2 and 3 go together. And we need all four. We need all four. Because the bottom line is God's word does not change. It changes us. And if we will come to it regularly, if we will come to it early and often, it will make us more like Jesus. And that is ultimately our greatest need. So as we close in prayer, I just want to encourage you, take your next step in faith. If there's conviction, respond in faith to that conviction. If there's affirmation, keep moving in that direction. If there's rebuke that has come, respond in faith to that rebuke. If you need a journal, they're on the tables as you leave. We've always got them out at the table in the lobby by the office. Some people have filled two or three of these. 
It's one of my favorite things <laughs> right now is seeing people coming in getting an extra, a new journal because they filled one. I wish everybody was filling this thing up on a regular basis. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your unshakable word in this very, very shakable world. We are reminded, painfully so, that tomorrow is promised to no one. And so help us to be a people who respond in faith to your word, to your spirit, in the moment, to not leave things undone. If there's one who's hearing this message right now that does not know you as Lord and Savior, but has just heard about an unshakable God who loves them and who is revealing himself constantly to them, then I pray that they would respond in faith to that, that they would confess that they are a sinner in need of a Savior, that they would welcome your grace and your love and your mercy into their lives, that they would begin a relationship with you, that they would begin reading your word, that they would surround themselves and you would surround them with positive people who would help them take their next steps. For those in the room maybe that are feeling a little conviction, that perhaps they become complacent, perhaps they're so shakable because they're not rooted in your unshakable word, I pray that there would be no condemnation, that the enemy would be silenced, that we would be deaf to his words, but that we would be attentive and have ears to hear your spirit speaking to us right now and that we would have the faith to respond to you and to begin anew. And for those who are, who are relatively unshakable, because they're so rooted in your word, I pray that you would spur them on, that you would fan into flames the gift that you've given them, and that they would have a burden to share it, that they would have a burden to disciple others, that they would have a burden to see your word come alive in the lives of other people. However we need to respond, Lord, may we respond in faith to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray.